0: Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. If there's Any um, anger, if there's any distraction right now, ask yourself, Lord, take it away from my mind. Take it away from my heart. If there's any, anything that's blocking your, me hearing your word today, I ask you to remove it. And anoint the word so I could hear it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's turn to Revelations 2, verse 12. But before I read, Revelations 2, verse 12. Before I read, I want to just recap uh, last week's um, church. Last week's church was what? Do you guys remember? Smyrna. Thank you, Dale. Brother Dale. <laughs> I kind of joke that there's a satellite church here by uh, by, by Daytona, Smyrna Beach. No, just joke. But the the main message, just this is just a little two-minute review of last week, so you understand where we're going here. The church of Smyrna did not receive any rebuke or correction. That's one of the few churches in the, uh, the book of Revelation that did not receive a rebuke or a correction for their community. Good man. Could you imagine Jesus coming to us and saying, RCC, we've rebuked all these churches. But you, I'm going to commend you. But here's how he commended them. Not just you're doing a good job. He says, you're under severe testing and martyrdom and you have not denied me. Severe testing, listen, and, and suffering and yet you have not denied me. But the good news we talked about last week and how it applies to us, okay. So it's expository teaching but also how it applies to us, right. Because if people only say, well, that was only for that day. Do you realize that every book in the Bible is a letter in the New Testament to that church or to that region. So if we're only saying, well, that was just uh, that was just for the Ephesus church. Well, then we can't claim anything for us. So the principle is for us too. What's the principle? The Bible said in Revelation 2 for the for the Smyrna church that they, they were going to be tested for 10 days. And last week, I, I just gave us good news. The good news is that sometimes we could determine the length of our wilderness through our obedience, okay. Because of the children of Israel, you know the story. They kept rebelling and the Lord extended their wilderness. We cannot determine the length of our testing. But that, that may say, like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. But here's the good news, Jesus is the one who has his finger on the time clock for your testing and my testing. When Jesus says our testing is over, no demon in hell and no, no human on earth could extend that testing. He said you will be tested for 10 days. That means there was a limit. Come on, somebody. Come on, church. Amen. Now, listen to me very closely. This brings me to the, the Pergamum church or Pergamos church. And uh, this is the third letter, but I want you to hear this because... There are some principles here, please hear me, that has permeated the American Western Church. I believe more the spirit of Pergamos is in the Western Church, the Gentile Western Church, than it is in a lot of other places. Now, what is it? It was a church community that was commended, I'm going to read it now, for some, because I, when God gives a prophetic word to a community, right, of correction doesn't mean every single person in that community needs correction. But it's an overall thing that he sees, right? Now listen to me closely. It's the the, 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 the action of compromise and the toleration of compromise that the, that the Lord was dealing with this community very sharply. I want to say this before I read. This is very important. There's a difference between compromising and tolerating compromising. Because... Compromising means you're actually doing it on purpose. Watch this now. Zoom in. Tolerating compromise is when you see something in others and you have the in the sphere of influence to do it and you don't say anything. That means if they're under your leadership or if they're in your circle and they are doing things that are compromising and it's affecting people around you and maybe even you. If you're not saying anything about it or doing anything about it, you're tolerating compromise and Jesus calls that Also, for us to repent. Now, let's look at that with this lens and look at Revelations 2, verse 12 through 17. We're gonna be looking at it in the New King James Version. All right? Now, listen, listen, this is gonna be uh, expository teaching, but also um, practical preaching. Okay? That means that we're gonna go, some of the phrases in this uh, church. But the principles of that church, listen, relate to the principles for us today. This is going to be good. All right. Now look at this. This is this is um, going to be eye opening to some of you. All right. Now look at this. If you're there, say Amen. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church, angel means messenger in the Greek. So many believe that that's actually the human messenger. I believe 100% is a human messenger. Why? Why would Jesus come in and say to John, a human being, give this message? to another angelic being. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Uh, where's the angel at? I'm gonna give this paper message to an angel. No, it's not an angelic being that he's giving this to, he's giving it to the overseer of that region and and over that church. Now what he says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, these things says he who has, listen to me uh, very carefully, sharp two-edged sword. Why would Jesus, describe? he described himself differently in the Smyrna church. He didn't describe himself as the one who has a sword, but this is very prophetic. You'll see at the end. I know your works, listen, and I know where you dwell. Another translation says, I know where you live. Another translation says, I know where you live, right? Where Satan's throne is. (laughs) That's encouraging, Lord. I know where you live. And Satan's throne, that activity of the demonic, is all permeating in that culture where you live. I know that. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That's another reference. But I have a few things against you. Now this is the Lord speaking. The Lord. He says, I'm commending you for staying, some of you, staying faithful in the midst of a demonic culture that's very high. Right? Sound familiar to some of us? In a culture that's filled with all demonic stuff, there's a few of you that even Antipas he was not willing to give in into that culture. But I have a few things against you, says the Lord, because you, this church community, listen to this: have there in your church community those who hold the doctrine of Balaam? Come on, somebody, and taught that who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols, this is Jesus saying this to the church, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have in your church community those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things, watch this, I hate. Whoa. Jesus goes as far as saying, I want you to know, it's not the the, the people, even though I need them to repent, I, I don't like the things that they're doing. I actually hate them. He says the deeds or the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which we're going to go through today, which things I hate. I think it's time to start loving what God loves and hating what God hates. I'm not, he never hates people, but he, he hates the sin that comes out of people. And if we continue to not do anything about it, it will permeate like a cancer in the church. Right? Verse 15, sorry. Verse 17, again, this is, uh, uh, in in nowadays modern churches, this is almost like a a, a taboo word. Repent, Jesus says, or else I will come to you. Now, who is he talking to? Is he talking to worldly people here? He's talking to the church. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them. Who's them? Those who are teaching the, uh, the, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans and acting on it and the teachings of Balaam, which we'll get to. Jesus said, if you don't repent, I will fight fight against them with the sword. There's that word again. He introduces himself as the, guy, the man with the sword. He didn't introduce himself like that to Smyrna. But to Pergamos, he goes, I want to remind you, I have the sword in my mouth, and now I got a sword in my hand. And I, if you don't repent, I will fight you with the sword in my hand. Now listen, my mouth. To him who overcomes, I will give of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except those who receive it look at me now. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is key to understand. Before we dive into it, I want to let you know what Jesus was speaking to. Jesus was pretty much speaking to the, the the leader and the main leadership of the church, but really to four kind of people groups. I'm going to identify them real quick. In the church. Now remember, we are a church community. Every local church creates a church community. Can I hear an amen? Okay. So, so this is a message to the church community of what Jesus was seeing going on. The first people that he's speaking to here uh, is, the, is those who held fast to Jesus, right? He's saying like, okay, there's some of you that in the midst of this demonic culture, you're holding fast to my name and you're not denying me. So, man, I pray that I'll be one of those. He's saying in the midst of this demonic culture, uh, in, this, in your city and region that's very high, There's a few of you that are zealous, and you're taking a stand, and you're getting persecuted for it. The second people that he's talking to is the leadership. Leaders, listen to me. He's talking to the main leader, but he's also talking to the overall leadership that is tolerating and viewing certain things and not saying or doing anything about it. Remember Eli in the Bible? Does anybody remember Eli? He was a priest, but you know he had two sons, remember? Remember that? And his sons were wicked. Listen to me, every person that's in any type of leadership, listen to me, whether it's in the world or it's in the church here. Eli had two sons, he was wicked, and they were committing sexual immorality, kind of like the the things of the the, the, the Balaam teachings and Nicolaitans, which I get to. And they were in the temple, and they were getting the women in the temple having intimacy, sexual intimacy with them. I mean, I'm talking about gross sin. Eli corrected them but kept them in leadership. Oh, you better preach back at me now. Come on. He's like, he just put put a little tap on the hand. He kind of corrected them, but he never removed them from the leadership. Guess what happened to Eli? Eli didn't do anything. He didn't do that. He got judged. So leaders, if we are looking compromise and are scared and they're in our kids or they're in our realm of influence and we don't address it that that means you're just as implicit as the one who's doing it the third type of people he's talking about he's talking about those who are teaching the doctrines doctrine means teaching of balaam oh we're gonna dive into that you're gonna love this some of you know this already and then the fourth people that he's talking to is, there are a group of you that follow the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Okay. This is the message to this church community. Okay. Now, I want you to know this, that the correction of the Lord is always out of love to produce fruit of righteousness in us. Because Jesus says, the, sorry, the writer of Hebrews says, for those who are without correction are not sons. He always corrects those he loves, right? Amen. Now, now, watch this. Jesus, he starts himself, and here's how we're gonna dive. We're gonna get deep into this today, but I, want, I wanna make it applicable to you. He starts by saying, I'm the Lord with a sword in his hand. Now, what is that prophetically or biblically symbolic of? All right? The sword means always, especially when the angel has it or when a, a, a soldier has it, it means war, it means fight. Jesus describes himself as the one who is going to be at war with compromise in the nation, sin in the nations, and sin in the church. No? If we think, just because we're in 2024, that Jesus is going to tolerate and be quiet about compromise in his church, perpetual compromise. I'm not talking about that you slipped up. I'm talking about... It's it's a it's an ongoing pattern of compromise. And I don't want to spill the beans, but there was a reason why this church was compromising and yet naming themselves Christians. I don't want to spill the beans yet, but it's happening in the church today. So the sword is symbolic of I'm gonna fight against the nations because of sin, but I'm also gonna I'm also gonna fight. That's even hard to say. I'm gonna fight the sin nature that it's in my people, and it will and cause them to be humbled by what I'm about to correct them in. You know what the sword also means in the Bible? The word of God dealing with compromise and sin. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 4, come on, you know it. For what, what the word of God is what? Living, powerful, come on, sharper than a what? Two as a sword, and it says, piercing even to the division Of spirit and soul. So when Jesus says uh, twice, he's like, I want you to know, Pergamos, I know that there's some of you that are overcoming. But the majority of you, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. The majority of you, he says, are perpetually compromising. And I'm here in my love to tell you, this is not okay with me. Because compromise always leads to sin. And a lack of conviction will always lead to compromise. Hello? The issue of this church was a lack of conviction. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get really good in just a second. When We can never underestimate how far we would go down in the depths of sin if we don't deal with our conviction level. If you are a church with little conviction, I'm telling you like I'm standing here, compromise will be automatic. It you will not be able to withstand comp- giving in to compromise if you have little conviction. Preach, son, I'm trying to, Lord. They're just not, they're not. Some of the Lord's judgments, some of the Lord's judgments are disciplinary to wake people up to righteousness. Some. Some of God's judgment sword towards, listen, towards his people is redemptive disciplines to wake people up to righteousness. But there's some judgments are to remove evil from, from a region. Hello? Or to show that the Lord is not tolerating that. If you don't believe me, look, look at what happened to the Egyptians. Look at what happened to the Romans. Look at what happened. Look at what happened to the, the Babylonians. In time, they got judged. Hello? But it was to remove evil. But the way that the Lord disciplines us is to remove sin. Now, now here's the thing. Here, here's where I'm gonna land. You're gonna you're gonna get something out of this. The where where it says Satan's throne, there's a lot of debate about what that says, right? And Robin there, she's t- she's taught the, the, the seven churches before. So good to see you guys. Now, there's a lot of debate on Satan's throne. There's a lot of theologians like, oh, does that mean the literal Satan's throne? I've heard some people say Satan's throne, which makes sense, is the description of Satan in Isaiah 14 where how, how you have fallen, Lucifer, and, and, and it talks about the theologians talk about the five eyes. Some of you guys don't know that. But it's like I will ascend. I will do this. I will. Pride is always I. And so some have said Satan's throne is the is the prideful nature that has permeated in that culture. Listen, and Satan's throne also is symbolic prophetically and also, in uh, biblically, of listen to me. This is key: the the actual culture that was happening in their day that was making it harder for Christians to stand up. And it's not not martyrdom; it was temple worship. That Pergamus, the city of the region of Pergamus, had one of the most highest forms of temple worship and idolatry, uh, statues of Zeus and statues of uh, Augustus and all these t- idols. But guess what happened in, th- in Pergamos though? They not only mingled and got trying to Israelites to get to worship false gods. Are you ready for this? They had temple prostitutes. Look it up. They had temple prostitutes and all these, so, so in all these um, demonic pagan temples, it was, a, it was almost an in thing. Like if you come to this temple, you'll also have some sexual immorality as a pleasure for you coming in this, this false temple. And listen, are you ready for this? The culture of the day was permeating in the church. If this mic was not expensive, I would have dropped it right now. <laughs> Listen to me. Does that make, is that familiar? To, can we relate that to now? Is the modern day church that's filled with social media, that's, fi- that's filled with the access to internet. Even, you know that internet wasn't even around s- until just 1994. It wasn't that long. Before, we would have had to actually write letters to each other or call each other. But we didn't have the access of the culture of sin so easily available than we have right now. And, 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 and Pergamos was the high city of, of satanic pagan worship. But he says, I know where you live. I know where you live. But I still ask you and command you to live right and not deny me. You and I can never have the excuse that we live in a demonic city. That's why we're compromising. Okay, that was a good place to say amen. The culture of society permeated the church, listen, to the point where that church, here's where I'm going to dive in, started teaching. Are you ready? Zoom in. Because if I have to say one phrase that, that categorizes the Pergamos church is this. The false grace message And taking advantage of the liberty and freedom of God and preaching a false grace with no standards that it's okay to sin because God is going to forgive us anyways in this new age. Remember, they were experiencing a new age. It was Old Testament for years. Jesus came on the scene, died on the cross and all these teachings, you're free from the law. We are free now from the law. And so this permeated, this teachings permeated for a compromising church that adopted a false grace message that gave them a license to sin because of the great amazing grace of God. Anytime we take the grace of God for granted, are you ready for this word? You will compromise. Not my compromise. When you take the grace of God as a license to say, well, I am, now that I'm newly, this new, uh, remember, this was just some years after the resurrection. So they realized, Paul kept saying, hey, you're free from the law, you're free from the law. Hey, I'm free from the law. That means I don't have any, I don't have to have any standards. I could just ask for forgiveness and enjoy myself. What a perversion of the grace of God. Come on, church. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen today. Look at this, look at this, look at this point. Look at this point. Ready? Look at this point. Jesus brought heavy correction. This is on your app, by the way. This is on your app. For though, for the Pergamus church, for their willful compromise and for tolerating compromise. Ask yourself this. Am I, you don't have to raise your hand. But am I, do I notice a pattern in me? That I, when it comes to certain things, whether it's my mouth, my speech, the way I talk about people, whether it's what I watch, it doesn't always have to be sexual. How about giving into anger because you deserve to be angry? Talk back at me, church. Well, I could be angry because they made, th- and this time I could be angry, this time, not last time, but this time I could be angry. And I could be a little resentful because they were the ones that hurt me. And that may be true. But listen, that never gives us a right to be angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Not. What does be angry and sin not mean? Righteous anger. He's not double-minded. He's not saying be angry. Oh, no, wait, wait, you said what, what, what? No, righteous anger. Zeal. But don't let that zeal cross the line to anger. So ask yourself, is there areas in my life where I'm purposely compromising? Or am I a person of influence, a father, a mother, a leader, a teacher, a pastor, a missionary that has people around me that God has brought to me and I notice compromise and I don't say anything about it? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. This is the message. Oh my glory to God. That this is the message that Jesus brought to Pergamus. Hey, I love you leaders and you're doing a great job. But you're not, you're not compromising. You're living pure. But what are you saying to these people here? I have something against you, leadership. But Lord, I'm not doing anything. But you watch the church permeate and compromise and you're afraid to call them to Repentance. This principle of abusing God's grace is all over the Bible. Look at Jude. Look, look at Jude. There's only one chapter. Say hey. Jude. Don't be afraid. I mean, take a sad song, Jude. And make it better. No, stop, stop. Jude. one. <laughs> only the older people know that. The young people are like, what in the world is PG talking about? It's an old, old song. My father used to play that. Beatles. Right, anyways. Edit that part. Jude chapter one. Are you ready for this? Jude chapter one. This is not new. What I'm saying: the abuse of the grace of God is all over the Western Church, all over the Western Church, and they call us old-fashioned now. That's not old-fashioned. That's Bible fashion. But we, we we're, we're not we're not we're not in the in crowd. We're not the cool church. If we if we call people to repentance, we're not cool. Uh, Look at Jude chapter 1, 3 verse 4. Are you getting something? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend, fight. Don't give up. Earnestly for the what? For what? Which was one given to all to deliver to the saints. Watch this. For certain people, think about now, right? Certain people or men have crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were marked for this condemnation, ungodly men. Are you, are you ready for this? Who turned the grace of our God into lewdness or lasciviousness. Or uh, I looked at that word, unbridled lust. In other words, it's, it's lust but it's, un, it's not. Broad. You know there's a difference between fighting lust and saying, I just let it go. No matter what, God's going to forgive me. I'm going to do it anyways. That lewdness in the Greek means unbridled it means you're not even attempting. You're not even trying to be like, no, no, no. no it's like, okay, here it goes. I'm going to ask for forgiveness tomorrow. But I, 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 I've been suffering so long that I'm, I'm going to go to this. Who turned, he didn't say the power of God. He didn't even say the holiness of God. He said who turned the grace of God. It's a false grace message into it's okay. Come on, come on. Come on. It's on. It's all right. We're in the New Testament now. Just a few years ago, we were in the law. But hey, Jesus resurrected. He freed us from the law. Paul even said it. Let let me tell you what that that definition is. That that reality that I just told you is something called antinomianism. You know what antinomianism is? In the Greek, anti is against. uh, Nomos is law. So that means they were lawless. Without standards. Watch this. Whenever you and I accept the grace of God as lesser standards, we will always compromise. And in a similar sense, since salvation is a free gift from God, the pergamus church adopted this teaching. Now I'm going to get to Balaam now. You're going to, you're going to shout. And they accepted now this Balaam teaching and this Nicolaitan teaching. Look at what the main thing of this, of this church is, the Pergamum church under, misunderstood and mistreated the amazing grace of God. Oh, glory to God. So this leads me to the doctrine of Balaam. I want to ask you to look, pay attention because some of you guys have no idea what the doctrine of Balaam is. But I want to explain it to you. But it's a, it's a principle. Everybody say principle. Right? They were t- Because of this false teachings, now it was permeating around the church. And now the church was saying, hey, it's okay to compromise. It's okay." They didn't, maybe they didn't call it compromise. But it's like, "Well, every other false god temple has this. Why not us? We're free. G- Paul the Apostle says, don't cause your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. Now look, what is Balaam? Now this, what is the doctrine of Balaam that, that, that the Lord highlights? We're going to highlight too. Put that up there. The doctrine of Balaam taught. That believers could participate in worldly feasts or parties, like we we say it today, of indulgence. There's nothing wrong with parties as long as it's a wholesome party. But they taught that the church could participate in worldly feasts of indulgence. This is the doctrine of Balaam. And by the way, the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans are like very similar. But they're just some slight distinctions, right? Right. Uh, Some believe that the Nicolaitans actually taught the doctrine of Balaam. So it's all intertwined, okay. The main message is a a false grace message that takes the liberty of freedom out of context. That was a good word, actually. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) The doctrine of Balaam taught that believers could participate in worldly feasts or parties of indulgence of the flesh associated with idolatry and sexual fornications. Now, we find the story of Balaam in Numbers 22 through 25, right? Now, this three chapters of where where did these people get the doctrine of Balaam? Ooh, listen, listen to this. The philosophy or the teaching that permeated that church that in 2024, if we're honest, it's permeating some of our churches. What was it? Please listen to me because you're gonna get this. In Numbers, I'll summarize it for you. In, in Numbers 22 through 25, here is Balaam, who by the way, the Bible calls him a soothsayer. He's not a prophet. He's a soothsayer. But for some reason, and I've battled with this, God decided to talk to him. But I believe it was to show his purposes to the Moabites. Because that doesn't make sense to me that God would talk to a soothsayer. Right? But that's a whole other different conversation at a different time. But the Bible calls him a soothsayer. It's in the Bible. Balaam was this soothsayer but, and he had say, visions and stuff, but yet... He was a Moabite. He also said, I only could tell, do what God tells me to do. So he had this, it's hard to describe, this almost this reverence of God. But he didn't want to value God's principles. Or he, See the compromise? He, he, he acknowledged his, his lordship. But he also wanted a little something for him. Come on, somebody. Are you, are you ready for this? Are you ready? So here's how the doctrine of Balaam came about. Balaam uh, was approached by this guy named Balak. Now Balak was the king of Moab, and he would see Israel, and, and Moab was like an adjacent region over Israel, and he says the Israelites are, are, are numbering us. So hey, Balaam, I want you to do something for me. I can't destroy them. I want you to curse Israel for me. <laughs> now listen to this. Uh, most of you hopefully would say, "How dare you? I'm not going to go to God? Like God's going to say, like God's going to say yes, I'll go ahead and curse them. You know what Balaam did? He goes, "Let me talk to God." And see if I could curse Israel. I'll be back. Like God's, like the Lord's gonna do that. But the Lord wanted to show his power because just like he did to the Egyptians, he's doing this now. So here, here's Balaam. I wanna go to God, ba- uh, Balak. By the way, this is key, this is key. You can't miss this. Balak offered Balaam lots of money to curse Israel. Can I pause and say, why are we in Christianity? Is it for money? Uh, is it for, is it, are we being, are we uh, called? Or are we? This is Balaam saying, "Hey, give me. You know, I I think I could do this." The temptation for Balaam it was because he got offered a lot of money. Now I didn't say that; it's it's in the Bible, right? So he got a lot of. He got. He's like, "Okay, let me ask God because you're offering me a lot of money." The Lord. Every time he went to the Lord to ask if he could curse him, the Lord prophesied goodness and favor and blessing over Israel. (laughs) Literally, he comes back and he goes to Balak, "Hey." The Lord says the Lord's going to win, uh, fight their battles. They're going to win and they're going to be favored and they're going to be victorious. <laughs> and Balak's like, oh, that's not what I'm paying you to say. Go back. So he went back again. Again, Balaam went. So you have to remember, the normal person would have said no and would have never had to continue that conversation. But there was a hidden motive that on the outside no one saw, but the inside God saw. He was covetous, he was greedy, he wanted money and that covetousness made him compromise. Listen to me, listen to me. So he went back second time. Hey, uh, this time, uh, can we curse Israel? No, now a bigger blessing comes. He goes, tell Baalak, this is the, I, I'm prophesying blessing, I'm prophesying health, I'm prophesying victory, I'm prophesying this, this, this favor, right? So he goes third time and, they, and, and then Joseph goes, forget it. I'm just, I'm just over with it. Balaam goes, hey, 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 don't leave yet, don't leave yet. Again, this is the 2024 version. (laughs) I can't curse them. Because every time I try to curse them, God blocks that thing. Oh, I I better. Every time I try to curse Israel, every time the enemy tries to word curse you, every time the enemy tries to bring something to you, the Lord in the middle of that transaction to the righteous will always turn a curse into a blessing. And it frustrates the devil. It frustrates the enemy. Come on, church. For you in a modern day, when there's people cursing you, when there's the enemy cursing you, the Bible says he is the, the accuser of the brethren. So he is accusing you. And every time he accuses, by the time before it gets to you, he turns that into a prophetic promise over your life. So, so, so Balak is frustrated because God keeps prophesying good things whenever Balaam goes back. But Balaam goes, listen. I really want this money. I'm paraphrasing. And it's all in Numbers 31. You'll find it out later that he, he did that. I can't curse them. Because watch this, watch this, watch this. God calls them blessed. See how, look at how that applies to you for the righteous. I can't curse them. God's blocking this thing. But I'm going to tell you how you could do it though. I want you, what you could do is if you get Israel to sin. And compromise on a perpetual basis. It will break the, the, the commandment that they have for them. And God will judge them for you. You won't even have to do that. So here's how you do it. Now This is Balaam. Balaam taught. The Bible said, taught. He's like, this is how you do it. You get your Moabite women. By the way, if you know anything about war, a lot of times you're in war for several days. Israel in and out of war. And there was no sexual relationship for the men. So hey, Moab. Go ahead and entice. In other words, on purpose, get your women to seduce, dress a certain way, and on purpose, not not by mistake, go to them and say, "Hey, hey, hey, boy, how how you doing? You want to come here?" And they would seduce the men to sin. You know what happened? Balak did exactly what Balaam told him to do. Now listen to me. This is the teaching of Balaam. Okay, and you'll find this. Uh, you'll find this. In, in numbers 31, where he actually, that actually says that he, ta- he, he taught, He taught them. He taught the women to do that. So watch this, the women seduced the, the people of Israel. The people of Israel went into a plague, because the judgment of God came on Israel, just like Balak want, Balak wanted it. Because, are you ready for this? Zoom in. They compromised in their purity. And they compromised in sexual immorality. So 24,000 people died on a plague. And you know, how, you know how it ended? This righteous, fiery dude named Phineas. And Phineas saw a, a, a man, a Jewish man, an Israelite, with a Moabitess, not even fearing the Lord, walking right past Moses. This says in the presence of Moses. Into his tent to have intimacy. That's, how, that's what has happened. And Phineas grabbed the spear... And with the zeal of the Lord, struck struck the man, and with I know this is gross through his body and into the belly of the Moabite woman, and killed them both. And the Bible says, then the plague stopped. That's a form of judgment. It wasn't for it, it was the Lord used this man to say this needs to stop. Can I say something? We don't just need to knock things out; we need to kill it. He, 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 didn't, he, he didn't knock him on the head with a rock and say, hey, what you doing, boy? He goes, you can't do this anymore. It is stopping the blessing of God on our life. And he killed them. you We're not, de- we're not called to, to deal with compromise. We're dealing to kill it. We're got, we need to kill these things in our flesh. Listen, listen. Because if you do that, the, if you don't do that, the God that is for you will no longer be for you. I'm, I'm just serious. I'm telling you. The the Lord was not with Israel because they purposely compromised, right? Then of course there's always there's always vengeance because later in the scriptures you will see that Balaam got killed by the sword in Joshua 13. Balaam got killed. And 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 they dealt with Moses. I don't want to get to the but Moses had a fiery zeal. He goes, Why are you why are you leading all these people uh alive? We need to we need to execute, right? So In a sense, this is the the reason God hated it. Why? Because it's a form of habitual and purposeful compromise. Listen to me. And Christians compromise all the time. I'm not talking about perfection now. Don't get condemned here. I'm talking about purposeful, thought out, because you know the grace of God is so good. Can I say something? And maybe this is out of order, team, but I just feel it now. You know the, the, the Pergamus church was misusing the grace of God. So we compromise with our lifestyle. We compromise with our words. We compromise with our speech, right? And the God of the Bible does not accept compromise on biblical principles. The God of the Bible will not accept compromise on biblical principles. And when we, when we covet things, that's actually idolatry. So some people say, "I'm not dealing with idolatry. Are you coveting something more important that it will lead you to compromise than being obedient to the Lord? Are you coveting money more than your obedience to the Lord? Are you coveting the opposite sex? Are you coveting a position? Look at me. The Bible calls covetousness idolatry. L- look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says in, 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 in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 in the ESV. Already? Let's stop on the screen. Colossians 3, 5 through 6. It says, put to death therefore what is earthly, fleshly, or carnal, in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Watch this, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It didn't say all these things are just idolatry. He, he says the word is, so it's a singular word. He said, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So when we covet something that will eventually lead us to pride, Satan's throne, right, pride, if we covet it more than the purity of what God is wanting to do through you, because there's nothing wrong with giving you blessings, is when blessings are now being coveted by you and it becomes idolatrous. Right? So, this was the, the doctrine of Balaam. They adopted this, this, listen, this doctrine of hey, compromise, covetousness. Remember, Balaam taught Balak to get the Israelites to come under judgment because he wanted money. Oh no 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 no! You could t- give me five million dollars. I will never try to do do that because I know what will happen to me—the judgment of God. I'm never going to accept money to get st- to, for me to stop saying something that the Bible says to say. <laughs> if that means we lose people in the church, I hate that. i hurt by that, but I'm not going to stop talking about. Holiness. I'm not going to stop talking about getting things right. I'm not going to shy away from confrontation. I'm not that person. Neither is my leadership team. And as a leader, I have to make sure, what am I tolerating? Not only in my life, but in my church and in my leadership. The time has come for judgment to start at the house of the Lord, of God. First Peter. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. The time has come for judgment to start in the house of God. And if it starts with the house of God, how much, how will it be with those who don't have, to, don't know Him? The Bible says, All right? So watch this. What are the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Are you getting something? The deeds of the Nicolaitans, look it up. Now, this is where I'm going to land here. You got the doctrine of Balaam, idolatry, covetousness, also sexual immorality. But the deeds of the Nicolaitans, put it up. The doctrine of the teaching of the Nicolaitans taught, A false grace, church, that didn't require any restraint from fleshly and immoral actions. I'm going to say that again. They actually taught this. The Bible said they taught it. It's not like I'm just slipping into this, I don't know why, but I I think this feels good. No, they actually said, "Hey, hey, guys, let me teach you something. We're free from the law. We're free from this. Hey, you guys are condemning yourself. Stop beating yourself in the head. Enjoy yourself There's repentance. Look, Jesus did it on the cross. They didn't know what what we knew. There were were some of them who were young in the faith. So they taught, taught lessons in their church that it's okay to have sexual fornication outside of marriage because God has already died and paid for it on the cross. All in the pretense of Christian liberty. (laughs) All in the pretense of Christian liberty. In the second century, the Nicolaitans were without restraint in their indulgence of the flesh, especially with immorality. And if you notice, the book of Ephesus, the first church where they first, first love, Jesus addresses, you also have Nicolaitans in there too. If you remember, the Nicolaitans' doctrine was spreading all over. And so the church of Pergamos stopped their conviction. And they stopped looking at the grace of God rightly. Look at me. One of the most powerful words and realities in all the Bible is the grace of God. The grace of God is giving us something that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. Are you ready for this? You're going to shout. Some people use the grace of God wrongly Because they want to get away with sin because they know God is going to forgive them. But we know that we're using grace properly, not when grace put that that sign up, that, that point up, not when it is, listen, we are using grace properly not when it frees us to sin, come on, but when it's so powerful that it's freeing us from sin. You better take a picture of that. We know we are using the grace of God properly when it listen, not when it frees us to sin, but it's when it's so powerful that it's freeing us from sin. That is freeing us from sin. Hallelujah! Because Titus two, verse twelve, you know it. It says, listen, it says, the grace of God has come to you that teaches. Oh, I love it. You know, it's like, it's like Balaam teaches, but God, grace is a teacher too. I know this is not in your, this is not, I didn't give the scripture to you. I feel like the spirit of Enrique on me. I didn't give the scripture on you. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If you could put that up. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Everybody say this to me. Look at me. This is deep, right? Balaam was a false teacher. Of, of, and, and the Nicolaitans were false teachers of this false grace. But grace comes and says, I'm a teacher too. I'm a teacher too. And I'm more powerful than Nicolaitans. And I'm more powerful than the ba- the Balaam. Watch this, watch this. And I'm going to teach, when you get born again and you have my spirit in you, I'm going to teach you. But watch this, grace, this is grace saying, I'm going to teach you to deny ungodliness. Wait a minute, Pastor George. Wait a minute. Where is that in the Bible? Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Sorry, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to men. Teaching us. Come on, somebody. Woo. The grace of God is teaching us. I want the worship team to come up here. To deny, watch this. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in, the, in this present age. Balaam and Nicolaitans teach a false grace, but grace comes in and says, no, this, I'm, I'm, the grace of God is the empowerment to live the Christian life. Not a license to be comfortable and compromise. Oh, help me, Jesus, preach this thing. I know you know it's okay. So it's a sword cutting deep, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna land the plane right now. How many are getting something of like this? Do you feel that the doctrine of the of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in 2024 has permeated some of the church? I'm about to say something real deep. Weak preaching produces weak Christians. Strong preaching produces strong Christians. If you have a leader that's always afraid to talk about issues that the Bible says because they fear that people are going to leave, is going to produce weak Christians. Look at this point. The true grace of God is designed to free us from compromise, not to make us comfortable in compromise. Woo! I said the true grace of God... Is designed to free us from compromise, not to be comfortable in it. I'm here to tell you, if you've been comfortable in compromise, it's not the grace of God that is empowering you to do that. It's your flesh overtaking those desires. And little by little, you will quench the voice of conviction. This applies to us today. We must be careful not to treat the grace of God like the Nicolaitans did. We must be careful not to treat the grace of God like the, 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 the doctrine of Balaam. False teaching that contradicts the word of God should never be accepted in our lives. And I'm going to land here because there's some good news. Some good news. Jesus, he warns the community in Pergamos. He defines what's going on in the church. So I just defined what was going on in the Pergamos church. But if I could be honest, I just defined what's going on in a lot of people's lives. So much compromise. Again, I'm not talking about you had an argument with your wife or your husband and then you felt convicted. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about... You, you You wanted to work out and you messed up, or you wanted to read the Bible for an hour and you read it for ten minutes i 'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is I realize that i 'm not dead yet, and I could keep on doing this, and it feels good to my flesh whether it 's anger, whether it 's your your speech whether it 's how you treat people. Do you realize that some people are compromising don 't even know that they 're compromising they 're treating people wrongly, and they 're using their personality or leadership title to treat people wrong. The Holy Spirit told me years ago when I was in a big mega church and I saw all, a lot, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I saw how people abuse their power, but I also saw a lot of uh, unsubmission to healthy leadership, right? The Holy Spirit told me, because some people are like, oh, man, the, person, the reason why they treat people this way is because they're under the anointing. So they have to be, they have to be bold. And I heard the Lord say, since when does my anointing make you treat people less than when you're in my anointing? So, so you're talking about when I'm not in the, uh, uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I treat people better. But when the anointing comes on me, yes, boldness is necessary. But boldness is not rudeness. That's not in my notes. That's for free for you right now. Eat that thing for lunch. Boldness is not rudeness. You could be bold and be strong in the stance with Scripture without being rude to people. You better preach, Pastor George. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm trying. I'm getting there. I'm getting it. So he says, he says, he says, I'm closing. He says, Repent because I love you. Repent. Now, watch this. Now, here's the revelation. Watch this. I know you'll love this. I saved some of the best for last. Or else I will fight with you. Watch this. The sword. Now, listen, this is this revelation. I just got this a couple days ago. I'm like, what? What? I will fight you twice with the sword. Everybody say sword. Do you remember? Now, now, who is he talking to? The people that have the doctrine of what? Of what? And who? Do you remember when Balaam finally went with the Moabites to try to curse Israel and he went on a donkey? And all of a sudden, he's going... But the Lord didn't want to, even though the Lord said you could go, he was testing him to see if he would actually go. So he actually went. So then there was an angel, are you ready for this? With a sword against who? Balaam. Oh, boy. Who is he? What's, the, what's the spirit in this Pergamus church? The teaching of Balaam. So he goes, I'm going to bring back that sword. So watch this. He comes to Balaam, right? And, 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 and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with a sword about to kill Balaam. So he turns all the way to, to, the, to the grass. So Balaam goes. <laughs> so he goes back. He goes around. Then he goes, the Bible says it's a more narrow road. Do you see this? The more, the, when, the more we get on the straight and narrow, the less we will have an opportunity to compromise. So he we went to a narrow road. And he turned. He, the, the, the donkey saw ba, the, the angel of the Lord, watch this, with the sword in his hand. Like. Like Jesus said, I'm going to come to you. And the Bible says that he turned and started, like, pressing or crushing against Balaam's foot. And he smacked him again. And the Bible says the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Ow! Why are you hitting me? That's not even even the miracle. The miracle is that Balaam talked back to him. He goes, because you keep turning aside. I'll be like, you could talk? What? just a normal conversation I'm talking to the donkey he goes why do you keep striking me and he said because the angel of the Lord is in front of me if I would have kept going you would have you died I'm paraphrasing so the, watch this the Lord gave Balaam an opportunity to repent and he didn't kill him but Joshua and his people did why am I saying this? There's times right now that we have to examine ourselves and ask ourselves Am I c- getting away with compromise because I know that I'm going to be forgiven tomorrow? And guess what? You will be forgiven. Am I given into a compromising culture of Balaam? Am I giving in to covetousness, idolatry in any form? Because it's going to be beneficial, watches, to me. Am I purposely committing immorality? Dare I say sexual immoralities, sexual deviance, let's just call it that way. That is unbridled because I know the grace of God is sufficient, that we have abused. The grace of God. I'm going to bring a loving, sobering message to our church. This is not a sad message. But if that's the case, here's the antidote. It's not, it's not it may sound heavy. The antidote is recognize it, repent of it. Repent of compromise and ask God to, to give you strength to stop these patterns. And little by little, when you stop these patterns and you get into his word, and you get into the right surrounding of people, you will overcome those compromises. Because the Bible says, those who overcome, I will give you this. So that means it's not automatic. You have to overcome. Listen, it it, it took you five years to develop this this habit. It may not go away in one day. But start today. To say, I'm not going to compromise anymore in my mouth. You know, when's the last time you said, blah, 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 blah. Wait. Babe, let's repent right now. When's the last time you actually admitted that to your husband or wife? You know what? Let's stop. I know we're hurt right now, but why, why are we doing this? This is not right. We're talking about him. It don't matter. Don't get religious on me. We could say that. No, you can't. You could actually, yes, you could. But that's still a form of compromise because there's no fear of the Lord. That we're stabbing people behind the back. That's a form of compromise. Here's the good news, though. To those who are walking righteously, the Lord promises that when a curse is sent your way, when a word curse is sent your way by the enemy or by people, that those who are in the way, those who are not perfect but are following the Lord and are refusing compromise, are bridling some of their lust, are attempting to, to live right by the Holy Spirit, the curse that was sent to you, God won't even listen to it. And it's in the book of Old Testament Deuteronomy. Here's our last scripture. Look, and here's a prophecy for RCC. Are you ready? Here's a prophecy for you from the word of God. Look, at, this is in Deuteronomy, I saw this 23 through three five. I never saw this scripture before. Look at this. For those who are saying, I will stand and I will fear the Lord and I will not talk about people behind their back. I will uh, Listen, I will not give in to this compromise of watching these things. I will not give, give in all because I'm hurt or because I'm messed up or because I'm weak. It's time to stop making excuses for our compromise. Jesus said, church of Pergamos, you're per- compromising. I love you. That's why I'm coming to you. I'm not leaving you this way. If I didn't love you, I would just skip over you and let you come into that damnation a- a- at the end of your life. But no, I want you to start living right. Address your compromise. Look at this scripture in Deuteronomy. This, this is crazy. An Ammonite or Morabite, this is the Lord talking to Moses. Moabite, do you remember the Moabite? That was the people that was that, cur- that, that caused Israel to stumble. The Lord says, "The enemy." Let's just say this is the enemy. The enemy, right? Everybody say the enemy. Shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to oh God, even to the tenth generation. None of this, none of his descendants, the enemy's descendants, shall enter into the assembly of the Lord forever. Look at this next verse, because. The Lord says, They did not meet you, Moses, with bread and water on the road. See, there's a recompense coming for the enemy. I said, There's a recompense for what he's done. When you came out of Egypt, Moses, and because they hired, look at this, God says, Because the Moabites hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, everybody say, Nevertheless. Everybody say, When the Lord, sorry, when the enemy, curses me, when people curse me, come on, with their words, if I'm standing right with God, say this with me, nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord loves you. Because the Lord your God loves you You know why I'm turning this curse into a blessing? Because I see you standing straight when everybody is compromising. You know when I'm turning, you know why I'm turning this for your favor when everyone's against you? It's because I see your true heart. You know why I'm turning this against you when uh, everybody's compromising? Because you're not afraid to call people out. You know what the curse is bringing to you? I'm not going to listen to it, and I'm going to turn it to a blessing for you. Why? Because I love you and I see your obedience. Come on, church. Stand up to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit RemnantChristianCenter.com.